This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl, hey. Hey. Do you know what I love about Easter? <laughs> Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> the caramel kind. We disagree there. I like the even, original. Even though my, no, original is gross. No, um, caramel is gross. good. No, you're gross. And also my dog won't stop staring at me while I'm eating. <laughs> I, no, I love caramel in general. I just don't like the giant, giant gob of it in the middle of an egg. Oh, I do. It's delicious. But I do love a giant gob of pure creamy sugar in the middle of an egg. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> so if the audio sounds weird, I apologize. Cause I sound like, I feel like I sound very echoey. I don't hear it. So maybe, maybe it's fine. I'm recording in my son's room because it's cold and rainy and I didn't want to go out to the she shed with all my equipment. So and I don't, I am. and I don't have a pod lab like Crystal does. So I'm, I'm just sitting on my couch eating the heck out of caramel. Cadbury eggs and you know living the dream also who who are we kidding I mean the audio is not great anytime so like it's fine <laughs> exactly because we don't get paid enough to do this but we like it <laughs> <laughs> but we like doing it so this is what it sounds so like. you're welcome <laughs> help me I'm poor <laughs> how many episodes are you gonna say that in <laughs> I don't know have I said that a lot and not lately. You, you used to say it a lot more, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So what do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? Oh, my God. Let's appease Crystal for this. What? <laughs> They're both parasites. Oh, my God. Get it? Because Paris. No, aside, aside I didn't Paris, get it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thanks for giving me the punchline. You were so <laughs> welcome. It didn't, it didn't seem like you got it because you didn't laugh. So I thought I'd explain it. <laughs> Have I laughed at any of them? <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Do you tell your husband these dad jokes? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't appreciate them as much as you do. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. It is my turn this week, and I think we should probably go ahead and get into it because it's kind of long, maybe not super long. So when I was trying to pick a case, I was like, oh, last week's episode, while I enjoyed it, it was only like 30 minutes. It was a short one. I was like, let me aim for something a little longer, and I'm going through cases. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I pick one. I'm like, I pick it, and I was still nervous that it wasn't going to be that long. I was like, oh, there's no way that I can make this. But maybe we'll we'll dig into some research and see. And I ended up with 17 pages. Oh, joy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Now, last week's episode was kind of, I didn't realize how short it was, but it was a little short. But I was trying to find a case that was like solved <laughs> and had, you know, some kind of closure <laughs> because I keep getting I keep getting harassed that I don't. <laughs> Then I don't do enough solved cases. I feel like and that there's dramatic. never closure. <laughs> dramatic, my ass. It is true. I get told all. I've gotten told by you. I've gotten told by Shannon. <laughs> Give them a break about sol- unsolved. Come oh, on, dude. let's let's get some closure. Oh, Dana mentioned it too. <laughs> oh, and Dana, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, you're not really getting harassed. That's a little dramatic. You're right. I'm it's getting harassed like by get- my sister who's relaying it from them. It's not like you're getting death threats or anything. Right? <laughs> I mean, I don't, there was the close one. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Okay. Um, I am, Do I know this case? Probably. I think okay. it's pretty well known. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance for this case because it's terrible in every way. Awful case. But, I mean... Should we apologize for them anymore? Because honestly, all the cases we do are They really are all awful. Just going to let y'all know in advance that, so you can prepare yourselves that it's, it includes untreated mental health and the murders of five children. Mm. So. Oh, wait, 
Is it a family? There, it is a family. Yeah. No, I mean like the the whole thing. Was it? Is it the family member that does the killing? It is. Yeah. I think I know what you're already talking about. You might not, because there's a few different family annihilators, and this one isn't like a complete family annihilator. Just the children. So. I'm hoping that it's not what I think it is, because if it is. I literally have this case written down <laughs> to start researching. Oh, God. Well, okay, go ahead. I'm going to be talking today about Andrea Yates. No. I didn't, I didn't think it would be the one. So, okay. all right. So we're going to get into it. Ready? Let's do it. So Andrea Yates was born Andrea Pia Kennedy on July 2nd, 1964 in Houston, Texas. She was the youngest of five children born to German immigrant Jetta Karen Kohler and Andrew Emmett Kennedy. Yates was raised in a Catholic household and was always held to the highest of expectations. She would always excel at everything she did. She was captain of her high school swim team. She got straight A's in school and was president of the National Honor Society. And she graduated valedictorian of her high school class. She went on to complete a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston and then graduated and earned her nursing degree from the University of Texas School of Nursing. From 1986 to 1994, she worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas MS Anderson Cancer Center. She like helped treat cancer patients mm-hmm. and performance evaluations throughout her years of her employment there. All they all praised her for like her knowledge, her communication skills, hard work, good rapport with her patients. They all said that she was very dependable, efficient, and had a, quote, positive mental attitude. I feel like there's a but. (laughs) My next sentence is, what nobody saw was that Yates struggled throughout her years with behavioral imbalances. Hmm. So, like, bipolar disorder, kind of? Possibly. She had a few different diagnoses. Throughout her youth, she had multiple struggles, including, like, she had bouts of severe depression and ended up getting an eating disorder. Hmm. She was bulimic her senior year in high school and would binge and purge once a day. Like she's told doctors that she got the idea to do this from a TV show that she watched. Oh and gosh. She continued to purge daily for eight years after that, claiming that she stopped when she met her future husband, Rusty. She would also use over-the-counter laxatives multiple times and like started running all the time to try to keep her weight down. Now, these were some of her struggles that nobody saw. Like even her closest childhood friend, Marlene Wark, says that Yates always seemed so well put together. But how do you not see somebody being super skinny? Well, the thing was, she wasn't, she didn't look sickly skinny. Like I saw pictures of her. She just looked healthily like... She just worked out a lot. Right. Right. Like fit. Right. She just looked very fit. I was trying to find the right word. So Yates and Marlene met when they were in eighth grade. They had the same English class. And Marlene says that she was like kind of a misfit. Like she didn't really fit in with any of the cliques in school. And Yates was the same kind of way. So Hmm. that's how they kind of started hanging out. She said that Yates had this, like, I don't care what others think about me type of attitude. Like she didn't care if she was popular or nothing ever seemed to face her. Marlene really like admired that about her because, you know, like in high school, that's a rare kind of attitude to have. That's the time when most people are like worried about what other people think and trying to fit in and all that stuff. So the two stayed close for several years and they even went to nursing school together. And according to Marlene, Yates was the most diligent student you would ever meet. She always seemed to excel at everything she did, but there was one year during their nursing school that the two of them didn't really speak much. It's not like they had a falling out or anything like that, but it was because Marlene Marlene said that during that year, Yates was struggling with depression pretty bad and that she had always been like super private with her struggles. Instead of living a normal life, she would just kind of recluse and keep to herself. So instead of like talking to her friend about it, she just shut herself in. Right. So yeah, she said Yates had always been a really private person, which like I totally get. I'm not going to walk around and tell everybody all my business, but that doesn't mean that you should like, if you're struggling, that you should just try to hold the weight of the whole world on your shoulders. You know, like that's right. There's people to talk to about it. Right. But back in the eighties, that's kind of what you did. Like mental health wasn't something that you really talked about a lot. Like, I feel like just recently in these recent years, people have started kind of being like, oh, it's okay to actually like talk to a therapist if I'm having problems. But back then that was just like, you didn't really do that. It wasn't common. So 
In the summer of 1989, she met Russell Yates, who went by Rusty. The two met at the Sunscape Apartments in Houston, where they were both living at the time. And she was actually one that initiated the conversation between the two of them, which wasn't really like her. She had only just begun dating at the age of 23. So like the year before they met and Rusty had just, was just getting over like a big breakup. So they started talking and noticed that they had a lot of the same like interests and beliefs and they started dating. And not long after that, they moved in together. The two were described by everyone as like just a beautiful couple. They seemed to like truly love and appreciate each other. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're so perfect for each other. They spent a lot of time on religious studies and prayer. And on April 17th, 1993, they got married. At the wedding, they announced to all their guests that they planned on having as many babies as nature allowed because that was God's will. Oh. So she became pregnant two months after the wedding. The couple kind of like adjusted and settled into the married life. They bought a three-bedroom house. By this time, Rusty had got a job as an engineer through a contractor working for NASA. In 1994, Yates left her nursing job for the birth of their first child. After leaving her job, she had little contact with people outside of her immediate family. So their first son, Noah, was born on February 26, 1994. Right after his birth, according to everybody, Yates was absolutely glowing. Everyone said that she seemed so completely happy with motherhood. She was just like all smiles all the time. She later told doctors that shortly after Noah's birth, Satan told her to get a knife and stab someone. What? Yeah. Super casual. Yeah. Oh, not that's not casual. <laughs> <laughs> right. Girl. Not a good that's not a good example of casual. Not casual. That's not <laughs> casual. Pro- we probably shouldn't tell our listeners that that's a good example of casual. <laughs> it's I think not. our listeners can pick up on the sarcasm. <laughs> hey, that's hey, that's not casual. <laughs> so yeah, so that happened. Then on December 12th, 1995, their second son, son, their second son, John, was born. I combined son and John. Not long after John was born, Rusty got a job offer in Florida. In 1996, the family packed up and they relocated to Seminole, Florida, and they moved into a 38-foot RV. So oh, they, okay. Yeah, they, they said they wanted to live like a simple life. They didn't need all these material things. Honestly, if you look at RVs these days, they're actually damn nice. <laughs> they, they are damn nice. And this- it's actually it's actually becoming a thing for people to live on like renovated buses and Yeah, well, I already told my husband once the kids move out, we're going to become RV people and just do that life. So, you know, you know who that sounds like? Remember when mom used to say that about her and dad? I don't remember <laughs> that. No. I do. Oh. I remember mom and dad saying. Well, mom's saying it and yeah, it, it doesn't I feel happen. like dad would just go along with it. He's like, whatever. <laughs> pretty much how he is all the time. He's like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, they moved into the RV. Um, they thought that Rusty would eventually get a job contracting himself out for like software development. And if this were to happen, then they would be traveling a lot. So they were like trying to be practical and prepare for the future. In 1997, after seven and a half months of living in the RV in Florida, they decided to move back to Houston where they would be closer to family. They continued living in their RV because Rusty said that they should live light and Yates got pregnant again, but unfortunately she ended up miscarrying with this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Now this obviously hit her very hard and al- as always, you know, she kind of hit her struggles and it wasn't long after that that Yates got pregnant again. At this time, she stopped doing activities that she'd always loved doing, like running and swimming, because of fear that she would have another miscarriage. Oh, why? Well, because she had just had the miscarriage before that, and so now she was super nervous that, like, anything could make her miscarry. Oh. Yeah, that's really sad. On September 13th, 1997, their third son, Paul, was born. Now, by this time, the Yates family had started closely following a preacher named Michael Warnecke. Or should I say more closely following him? So I'll explain that in a minute. Rusty saw Warnecke as like a mentor. And the couple, the Yates couple was like super devoted to his teachings. Andrea had several of his videos and like watched them daily. Now I watched an episode of the crimes that changed us on the ID channel about this case when I was researching. Mm -hmm. And 
in this episode, there were a lot of, there, not a lot, there was a couple clips of this Warnecki preacher character that she would watch. And it left me with a lot of questions. Was it like culty? Well, the biggest question was I had was like, is this dude for real? Like, this can't be real. So these videos are like bonkers, in my opinion. Dude is dressed up in like creepy ass monster masks, like a different mask in every video. Wait, time out. It's not culty. It's just weird. It's just fucking weird. <laughs> so he, he's like in these creepy masks. If I walked into any kind of like church and saw that, <laughs> I'd be like, am I in the right place? Right. So he's wearing, he's wearing this creepy ass mask. He's like literally like flailing around as he's preaching, like just making all kinds of weird gestures, hands going everywhere. And by preaching, I mean, basically just screaming that you are going to hell. Oh my God. That is his preaching. So time out. So that, sorry, I was moving my <laughs> microphone, everybody. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, so that does sound culty though. Yeah, it sounds, it kind of sounds culty that that's that's his word and rusty and andrea took his word as gospel so that's oh, gospel that's that's the gospel truth well frankenstein said <laughs> that we are all going to hell <laughs> right so according to author Susie spencer rusty described warnecki to her like when she was interviewing him as a soft-spoken preacher i don't know what the hell he was talking about like what I saw on the videos, that would never be described as a preacher. <laughs> like this dude was like all in your face, like he's all in your face over the top, just like he's like yelling, You're going to hell. You're going to hell. <laughs> right. You're go While he's got like this dread or it face or something on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he preaches that one must quote, get alone, study the New Testament, and seek the living Jesus to be born again. And he says that today's quote, churches are not the true church as seen in the scriptures and cannot save anyone. Now, I'm not a religious person. Like we weren't raised in any kind of religion. That being said, I'm open to and interested in all types of religions and beliefs. Who am I to tell you what to believe in? When I was a kid, like when I was younger, I went to several different types of churches with like oh, different yeah, friends same. throughout the years. And like, I found them interesting, but I just, I'm just not religious. But what I don't believe in is people that are like hardcore in your face like my religion is the only way and if you don't agree with that then you're okay. condemned I to hell i don't believe it or i don't agree with that either basically that's what this guy did he literally said you're all going to hell yeah my word yeah. is but it sounds like this guy wasn't actually a, <laughs> a church right i don't know what religion it was but that's what they followed that's so. so weird. So did it, so if they followed it, does that mean they like went and bought like masks and wore them? I don't think so. Okay. I don't, I don't think they were as interested in the masks as they were about his preachings. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know the point like, of the mask. <laughs> it sounds like he didn't really preach. He just told them they were going to hell. Right. So, I feel like anybody will say that on the streets to you. <laughs> <laughs> and so he actually did that too. He would travel around like put on his weird costumes and like stand on the streets and like just be one of those people that like preach yelled at everyone that walked by oh yeah 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 he was one of those he, so, you see that a lot in like the movies in like new york city i wonder if that actually happens there <laughs> probably we can ask michael but we'll have to ask michael if there's a lot of people like that like do that <laughs> i'm curious whenever we decide to go and actually visit mm-hmm I am, I will look forward to this. <laughs> like, I would look forward to somebody screaming in my face telling me. Oh I, my God. <laughs> so I could be like, I, I never knew this was real. <laughs> it yeah. is like the movies. <laughs> I, I don't think I will handle that well. <laughs> yeah, but you handle things a lot differently than me. <laughs> so Rusty and Warnecki actually went way back before okay. he met Andrea. So Rusty had met him in the mid-1980s, when Warnecki was preaching at Auburn University. Preaching, I used air bunnies. Um, the two corresponded by mail for the next several years. Like, they met each other, and then they sent each other letters and stuff. They got pretty close. When Rusty and Andrea first started dating, he introduced her to Warnecki and his wife. Now, according to Warnecki, Andrea seemed slightly intimidated when they met so he advised them to not marry quickly like they should they should take it slow because he wasn't sure about her 
Oh, but he's <laughs> sure about the masks. Right. Okay. I feel like I would not want to listen to that guy's opinion. <laughs> okay. At all. Like, who is you? <laughs> now, despite this, him telling them not to get married, um, over the years, the two families grew closer. And in 1997, Andrea and Michael's wife, Rachel Rebecca, began communicating through letters. So the wife started writing letters back and forth. Now, these letters were basically Rachel telling Andrea that she should be a better wife, a better mother, and that she was a sinner and was going to hell. So that's nice. Oh. Right? That's that's fucking rude. (laughs) Like, why you write me then? (laughs) Why'd you just waste your time? Like, this, I feel like this is just like a bully religion. Like, they're just bullying everybody. It is. That's exactly. Because I, I didn't see anything about them saying like, oh, like you're a sinner for this. But if you do this, then you won't go to hell. No, they're literally just like, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Oh. In one letter Rachel wrote, a woman is created to be a helper. This does not mean a wife. It means a servant, whether you're single or married. <laughs> right? One oh, of one. Girl, you need help. Oh my God. If my husband heard those words, <laughs> he'd be like, see, this is this is what this woman knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, you're going to get a fucking fry pan across your head. <laughs> okay. Why don't you go hang out with that woman then? Cause bye. <laughs> <laughs> he would obviously be joking. Right. Right. I just think, whoa, no lady. No. So one of Warnecke's main teachings was that Jesus singles out one group children. Okay. And- According to him, quote, whoever causes one of these children that believe in him, not, not him as in Jesus, him as in Warnecke. So whoever singles out one of these children that believes in, in Warnecke, whoever causes one of these children that believe in him to stumble and leads them down the wrong path, aka the path to hell, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and he be drowned in the depths of deceit. Well, then he said, like he literally said, quote, so is Jesus saying to kill yourself? Yeah. End quote. Oh, brother. <laughs> like, what the fuck is your problem, dude? You need counseling. You, you need to go talk to somebody. So yeah, that is what religion the Yates were super dedicated to. So okay, whatever. now at this point, Yates was concerned that she was a bad mother. You know, of she course, getting, because getting all these... <laughs> <laughs> because the because the masked man told her she was right and she's getting hate mail from his wife basically yeah so she was a full-time stay-at-home mom and when it was time for the kids to start school the Yates decided that Andrea would homeschool them while Rusty worked now I don't know if this if their decision for this was related to this or not but Andrea had received a letter from Rachel that said quote there is a great joy to be had in helping your children develop and apply their abilities I can't fathom the idea of sending them off to a stranger and their stranger spirits for eight hours a day. Talk about demonic. The eternity Mm. of, right. The eternity of my children is my accountability while they're children. And I would be sending them to hell if I raised them to think according to the standards of this world. I would be sending mine to hell if I, if I homeschooled them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what it takes to be a teacher? My ass don't have it in me. Exactly. I had to do it during COVID. (laughs) Right? Me too. There's a reason I went back to work. (laughs) I saved their lives going back to work. But no, for real, like there's a reason that teachers have to get a degree to be a teacher. Like it takes a special kind of person to be a teacher. Oh yeah, absolutely. You want to sit in a classroom full of 20 kids? Mm -mm. Right. (laughs) What the hell? So on the same, on the same page of this letter, there was a drawing of a woman standing by her as many children cry and fight with each other. And then there was a caption that she wrote that read like a poem. I'm going to read you this caption. Okay. Really quick. Cause like, wow. So it's like written kind of like a poem. It says mutter, mutter, it does not say mutter. It says <laughs> modern mother worldly was very, very lazy. All her children drove her crazy. The Bible told her to spank and train them, but society said she must never constrain them. The fruit of rebellion she did now see on the day of judgment, she will have no plea. Mutter, I can't say modern, modern <laughs> mother worldly cast in hell. Now what becomes of the children of such a Jezebel? And there was like an exclamation point behind Jezebel because that's, mm. that's a serious offense. So Where that was nice. Where did find that lady? I don't know. I wonder what kind of household <laughs> she grew up in. Right. So 
Rusty was so inspired by Warnecke that he bought from them a school bus that the Warneckes used to travel the country, like to spread their preachings. So this bus had been converted into like a small home. Mm. The Yates got rid of the RV and began living in this bus. This bus was considerably smaller, like super tight quarters. The kids slept in the luggage compartment. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's a fucking school bus. It's, I mean, it's converted into a home, but it's- I'm sorry, but my eyes just got big. Nobody could see that. But the luggage co- department, like the little thing that when you walk out of the bus, you have to open at the bottom of the bus. I don't know. That, the- that's where the luggage compartment is. I guess so then. In but this that's- tiny little hole. That's where it said. It's they like slept in this tiny little. Slept in the oh luggage my- compartment. So, yeah. yeah. Like, they- look up where a luggage compartment is on a school bus. Like, look <laughs> it up. I'm telling you. I all I can think of is here's a prime example Billy Madison you remember when all the school lunches were put in the luggage compartment oh yes thank you when he ruined their precious field trip yes. their lunches. <laughs> oh yeah well that's what yeah that's what the article said that they slept in the luggage compartment so they lived in this bus with yes it is under I'm sorry oh my god Send me the picture that you're looking at because I didn't look at it. Oh, I'll show you. Let me turn my brightness down. There you go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. So (laughs) it had been they said it had been converted into a home. So I'm assuming they give a fuck. (laughs) That is under the fucking bus. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. So yeah, they lived in this bus with three small children for two years. Those poor sweet babies. And then Andrea gave birth to their fourth son. Oh no. <laughs> no, there's no, you know, because they got alone time since the kids were under the bus. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is awful. That's awful. So Luke was born February 15th, 1999. But according, mommy, where will the baby sleep? <laughs> according to Rusty, this is when she went through her first depression. More like yeah. 12. <laughs> right. According to Yates herself, this is when she started having thoughts of harming her children. Oh, no. She says she was feeling super crowded in the small bus home and was really stressed. And in June, four months after Luke was born, Yates became suicidal. Oh, no. On June 16th, Rusty came in and he like found her like shaking and chewing on her fingers and she was all freaked out. She told him that she had been feeding Luke and she started having irrational thoughts and felt like she was going deeper and deeper into this hole. And she says like she was afraid she would hurt the children or she was going to like mess them up because she's a bad mother. So Rusty suggested that they go to her mom's house to see if she could get some rest there. Well, I mean, that was nice. Good job, Rusty. Good job. On that front. (laughs) Right. So the next day they went over to her parents' house where Andrea attempted to commit suicide by taking a bunch of pills. Mm. So her father had been prescribed trazodone for Alzheimer's and she was like very involved in helping with his care. So she had easy access to his pills anyways. And she knew they were there. So when they went over there, she took a bunch of them. And she was committed to a psychiatric hospital and diagnosed with postpartum depression. She was prescribed antidepressants and was released from the hospital. And two weeks after her release, Rusty noticed that she was missing. You know what gets me? I'm sorry. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I have to stop for that for a second. So she attempted suicide by pills. Yes. And then the psychiatric place prescribes her pills. Pills. Yes. Like. I'll never understand. And I mean, it still happens today. Like that's what postpartum mothers get mm-hmm. because that's the only, you know, treatment that anybody can truly really give them medication wise or whatever. So yeah, they give them pills and they just try to kill themselves with pills. What makes you think that they're not going to do the same thing right. with antidepressants? Like that's, I'm sorry. Anyway, no, I, I get it. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. So um, two weeks after she was released, Rusty noticed that she had gone missing. Like he couldn't find her anywhere. It turned out she had taken a knife from the kitchen and went into the bathroom. And so Rusty walked in as she's holding the knife to her throat. And he wrestled the knife from her 
and the whole time she was like just screaming at him and like begging her to let him screaming at him to let her do it Mm. so she was hospitalized again and later when asked why she wanted to kill herself she said because she didn't want to hurt the kids so while she was at the hospital she met dr eileen starbranch starbranch said that she was one of the sickest patients that she'd ever seen oh no she was then diagnosed with postpartum psychosis rather than depression so this is much different so postpartum psychosis is much more rare postpartum depression is actually pretty common and occurs in like one out of 10 women after they deliver a baby so one out of 10 postpartum psychosis occurs in approximately one to two out of one every 1000 deliveries so like 0.1 or 0.2 percent of births every year now the onset for postpartum psychosis is usually very sudden most often within the first couple of weeks after delivery. Symptoms of depression are crying more often than usual, feelings of anger, withdrawing from loved ones, feeling disconnected from your baby, worrying that you'll hurt the baby and feeling guilty about not being a good mom or like doubting your ability right. to care for the baby. Now, symptoms of postpartum psychosis are a little different. Common symptoms of this are delusions or strange beliefs, hyperactivity, feeling very irritated, difficulty communicating, rapid mood swings, hallucinations, paranoia, decreased need or inability to sleep. In postpartum psychosis, there's a 4% chance that the newborn will be killed. So Dr. Starbranch put her on an antipsychotic called Haldol. Now this seemed to be the one medication that like actually seemed to work on her. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. She started improving and becoming more stable. And over time, according to Rusty, she started to return to like her old self from before she'd even had kids. He's like, it seems like she's back in touch with reality. He said that he thought that she was cured. While Yates was hospitalized during this time, Rusty had bought a new three bedroom, two bathroom house for the family. <laughs> um, I think maybe we should stop with the bus. Right. He's like, I don't <laughs> think the bus is doing yeah, we should probably not do that anymore. She can't handle the bus. So which who can handle the bus with four kids? <laughs> so for this family, this house is huge. Three bedroom, two bathroom house. Come on. Right. The kids would get to sleep in actual beds instead of luggage storage areas on a bus. So oh, goodness. Once Yates was Wait, I skipped a part. According to notes from Dr. Starbranch, Rusty pushed for Yates to be discharged. He was like, okay, she's doing much better. Like she can, she can. Oh, he wanted her to go see the new home. Right. So once Yates was deemed stable, she was released and able to move into this new home with her family. And she was seemingly back to normal and continued to have regular appointments with Dr. Starbranch to make sure she, you know, she's good. Notes from their session said things like she doesn't want to take the meds because they make her feel weak. And Yates wants to stop her medication, get pregnant, and have more children. Oh, my God. Right. And a nursing note stated that patients shared that her husband allows her two hours per week to do what she likes. Two whole hours. So on a week, not a day, two whole hours a week, she can do whatever she wants. That's that's allowed for two hours. Um, You need to ditch the man. (laughs) I know I read in one of the articles, one of these, one day a week, she was allowed to leave the house by herself and he would stay with the kids so that she could do like the shopping for the house, like for all the groceries and everything. Yeah. So I wonder if that counted as her two hours a week. Cause that, I wouldn't, that's not what I want to do with that. <laughs> I'm going to go to the grocery store with that. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that at all. Right. I'm going to go watch a movie <laughs> or, okay. or do something else. Yeah. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. You have two hours to do what you like. Now go to the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) On October 21st, 1999, Yates reported that her husband had been, like when she was talking to her psychiatrist, that her husband had made several hurtful comments about her homemaking. And on November 11th, 1999, one of the topics discussed was her need for exercise because, you know, she'd always had those struggles with her weight and everything. So she had this need that she had to exercise and her husband seemed to question that need. So that was something that bothered her. On February 24th, 2000, her therapy was terminated. I don't know why. I didn't see a reason why. Like, Like, I looked for a reason why. I'm like, did 
her insurance change? What happened? Why did they? Or did they get terminated because her husband decided to just. Maybe he was just like, oh, she's better. Like, she doesn't need to go here anymore. So in the final session on that date, Yates said that homeschooling was going well. The family had worked on a budget. They had gotten a dog. So a dog had been added to the family. And for the next year, she received no mental health care and no medication. Now, before initially releasing Yates from the psychiatric hospital, Dr. Starbranch urged the couple to not have any more children. She was like, if Andrea is to have another child, like it's going to guarantee a psychotic depression type situation. But with Andrea seemingly back to her old self and the couple with the shared belief that they would have as many children as God intended, they decided to let nature take its course and whatever happened, happened. So approximately seven weeks after her discharge, the couple conceived their fifth child. Oh my God, stop having babies. Okay. (laughs) On November 30th, 1999, their first and only daughter, Mary, was born. Yates reportedly went off of her meds in March of 2000, so about four months after Mary was born. She'd like stopped taking the Haldol, the one that was like working for her. Andrea seemed to be coping well with having this baby until the sudden death of her 82-year-old father on March 12, 2001, 14 weeks after Mary was born. In January of 2001, he had had a fall that caused a subdural hematoma, and his like functioning declined, and he was hospitalized, and his health continued to decline until his death in March. Now, after her father's death, the change in Andrea was immediate. She began to withdraw. She wasn't eating well. She had difficulty sleeping and began having those thoughts again about being a bad mother. She lost five pounds in like a week. It escalated real quick. Rusty reported that she was becoming overly attached to Mary and would refuse to put her down. She was admitted to the Devereux, Texas Treatment Network, where she was described as almost catatonic. And for the first week of admission, she refused food and fluids and had like a flat effect she was sometimes described as mute but other times would give like minimal verbal responses mary no or okay for a second i was like wait are you talking about the baby well yeah she's not (laughs) like she's not answering your questions no andrea (laughs) this is how she was acting when she was admitted into this next okay I got confused for a second. I was like, wait a minute, what? You're like, Mary can't talk. She's she's 14 weeks old. <laughs> uh, on April 5th, Yates reported that her mind was so full of things, but she wouldn't like elaborate on that. She's just like, my mind's just so full of things. On the 6th, she answered every question that was asked, except one question about suicide. Like she wouldn't answer that. Why? I, I don't know. They were like trying to find out if she was having suicidal thoughts and she just wouldn't answer their questions that's kind of a trigger to not let okay go on also what if she wasn't thinking about that and then you just put it into her mind yeah except with (laughs) her with her history yeah 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 yeah. so a few daily observation sheets had boxes that like they would check boxes for things They had boxes checked for disorganized, bizarre, paranoid, or delusional thought patterns, hallucinations, and loose associations and disorientation. So they're like, she's got all this going on. But there was like no data given to support these reports. They were just checked off. On April 9th, she was said to have looked much better. She ate well. She answered questions about suicide. She answered like all their questions that day. And she told them that she was feeling 90% better and requested to be discharged. And they were like, mm. <laughs> She um, interacted with her husband and her children on that day. And she's like, she loved seeing them and she went to go home. So they granted her partial hospitalization and she was discharged on April 12th to outpatient care with Dr. Muhammad Saeed. Now, another Devereux discharge summary, apparently from the partial hospitalization program, indicated that Yates was admitted on April 13th with a diagnosis of postpartum depression and was discharged as, quote, improved on the 18th. Her medications were listed as 4 milligrams of Risperdal daily, 75 milligrams of Effexor, and 300 milligrams of Wellbutrin. So no Haldol, the one that, like, stabilizes her. So that's cool. Right. Um, I know... 
well i know what wellbutrin is like i i actually know that one <laughs> out of right. all those medications <laughs> that you said wellbutrin was the only one that i knew that okay, well, okay. that one was because they use that to help um also they use that to help with people like to help quit smoking and stuff too did you know that i feel like i might have heard that yeah I like I know that one. <laughs> that's that's the only one I know. Boom. So, <laughs> so there was a progress note from Dr. Saeed on May 4th that states that Yates did not continue her partial hospital care, but she had been coming in to see him for appointments on a weekly basis. So that's better than nothing, right? Right. He noted that on her second to last appointment, she suddenly seemed to have started to deteriorate again. She seemed less energetic and was not eating well, but denied suicidal thoughts. And Rusty told Dr. Saeed that she had not been eating or drinking much and that he was starting to get worried about her safety again. He told Dr. Saeed that his mother had found her in the bathtub and she was like in a catatonic state and wouldn't communicate any with anybody like about what she was doing, what were her intentions in there, like what's going on. So she was prescribed the Haldol again at Rusty's request. Like he was the one that was like, hey, this seemed to really help with her before I think she should be on this so he he prescribed her that and eventually she was released again in July of 2001 Yates appeared to show no signs of psychotic thinking during one of her meetings with Dr. Saeed and she complained of the side effects of her antipsychotic medicine the the Haldol so he discontinued it on June 18th Rusty came in and asked the doctor to put her back on that and this did not happen. Why? Hey, I don't because I guess he was just like, oh no, it was like giving her bad side effects. Like she doesn't mm. want to be, she doesn't want to be on this one. Now, two days after Rusty went and asked for her to be put back on this medicine is the worst day ever. And we're going to talk about that now. So two days later, June 20th, 2001, seemed like just any other day. Rusty later told police that he woke up between eight and eight 15 he ate breakfast, took a shower, and got dressed for the day. He said that Andrea got bowls of cereal ready for the boys and herself. He kissed her goodbye and kissed the kids goodbye, and he left for work. Now, since Rusty had been more recently concerned with her like actions and her state of well-being and all that, he had asked his mother, Dora, to come over and help during the day with the children. So Andrea wasn't like here by herself with the kids. Right. And so she had agreed and she was expected to arrive around 10 a.m. Rusty left for work around 9 a.m. So this gave Yates an hour to do everything that she planned on doing. Before her mom showed up? It's his mom, her mother-in-law. Yeah. His mom. Sorry. Yeah. So he left at nine and the mother-in-law is supposed to get there at 10. So she's got an hour. As soon as he leaves. Oh, God. I know this is really rough. So did she, so she's so she so she ends up walking in on it, like seeing it all. No. Oh, okay. No, she gets done before. She. Gets no, done. I mean like the mother-in-law sees it though. No, because okay. I'll tell you why. But yeah. Okay. So she filled the bathtub full of water, and while she was doing this, three-year-old Paul walked into the bathroom. Paul asked, "Mommy, are we going to take a bath today?" And she didn't answer him. I know it's real rough. She didn't answer him. And so he asked her again. She then held him face down in the water. And Paul died after a brief struggle. And then she placed his body on her bed. When she went back into the bathroom, she noticed two-year-old Luke had wandered in. And so she did the same thing to him. Next, five-year-old John entered the bathroom, and she repeated the same procedure on him. She laid all three of her younger sons in a line on her bed and covered their bodies with a sheet. Now, when John had come in, he didn't want to get into the tub when she told him to. Like, she had to, like, lift him and put him into the water. She later stated that he struggled with her violently. So after her three youngest sons were dead, Yates focused on six-month-old Mary. Now, Mary had been sitting on the bathroom floor crying this entire time while her mother had drowned three of her four brothers. Andrea held the six-month-old baby face down in a bathtub full of water. And once Mary was dead, 
Andrea focused all of her attention on the oldest seven-year-old Noah. Now, she left Mary's body in the tub and called for Noah to come into the bathroom. Yeah. When he got there, he saw Mary's body in the tub. And this part is straight from Yates. Like this is from her retelling what happened. Noah asked what happened to Mary. And then she like tried to grab for him to pull him over there. And he tried to run away from her, but she was able to catch him and bring him back to the tub. When the police got there later, there was wet footprints from Noah and Andrea found in the house, like collaborating that this actually happened. Like he had run away and tried to get away from her. Oh my God. Um, Noah struggled and fought hard. Like he did not want to die. Andrea said that he put up the greatest struggle and was able to come up and gasp for air a couple of times before he finally died. And so sad. She said that when Noah had come up out of the water grasping for air one time, she heard him say, I'm sorry. But then she didn't hear the rest of what he was trying to say. Oh my God. Uh-huh. So this is so awful. She then placed Mary on the bed with the younger three boys' bodies and covered them all up with the sheet. And then Yates went to the phone and called 911 giving them absolutely zero information. She just insisted that she needed the police to come to her house. She then hung up with them and called her husband and told him that he needed to come home. And Rusty noted like there was an odd tone in her voice. And so he like asked if everything was okay or if anyone was hurt. And Yates replied that yes, the children were hurt, all of them. Could you imagine? No. Could you imagine? I cannot. Coming home? Mm -mm. To all of your children being dead? Mm -mm. Like never. This is awful, awful. So then she sat on her couch and waited for the police and her husband to get get there. Police got there first and they had no idea what they were about to walk into because she didn't give any information. So they thought since she didn't want to say anything on the phone, maybe it was like a domestic abuse case, like a husband Mm -hmm. or boyfriend's like beating on this woman and she couldn't say much. When they arrived, she led them past a plaque in the living room that read, blessed are the children, into the back bedroom where officers saw the top of a small head sticking out of the sheets. Now, one officer stated that it took him like a few seconds to realize exactly what he was looking at because initially he just just like look like sleeping kids or something, right? Well, initially he saw the top of a head and he thought, okay, because he's thinking, you know, he's thinking maybe domestic thing. He's thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. this guy's been like abusing her or something and she snapped and maybe she killed him or I don't know what, but then he realized this head was much too small to be like a grown man's head. He realized like this has to be a child's head. So he went over to the bed and he pulled the sheet back and was, they were all shocked to see that there were four children lying there, not just one. And then they walked into the bathroom to find Noah still floating face down in the tub. Yates sat on the couch looking completely blank-faced and zoned out. During her confession, she explained that she wasn't a good mother and that the children were not developing correctly and she needed to be punished for that. Oh my God. She admitted that she waited until Rusty went to work that morning before filling the tub because she knew like he would have stopped her if he was there. And she admitted that she had thought of drowning the children for about a month before this, but never had an opportunity because Rusty or Dora was always home. Yeah. So she went to trial. It was a lengthy trial. She didn't go to trial because it's not like she was trying to say, oh, I'm not guilty because she like gave a confession. She went right. to tri- trial because her the defense insanity. was insanity. Yeah. They were trying to plead not guilty by reason of, it, of insanity. Right. Now they're in Texas, remember? Isn't that a, a death penalty state? Texas was going to go for the death penalty for sure. Right. Yes. So that's what, that's what the prosecution was going for. So Texas law states that in order to successfully use the insanity defense, the defendant must prove that he or she could not tell the difference between right and wrong at the time of the crime. So they brought in several different doctors and psychiatrists to like evaluate her They meticulously went over her past medical records and interviewed all of the doctors that she'd seen in the past. They discussed the fact that she had been mentally unstable throughout the years. And on top of that was 
deeply religious and this avid follower of this non-conventional preacher that literally preached that if a soul's if a child's soul was led astray in any way by the age of 10 then they would be condemned to hell so if you're kids under 10 they're okay right now but once they reach 10 if they're led astray at all straight to Hades they're going so she told psychiatrists that she had been hearing a voice in her head for a while and she never told anyone about it but she believed it was the voice of Satan she said she knew she was already condemned to go to hell and being tormented by Satan and she didn't want her children to be tormented by Satan and burning the hellfires so she was saving their souls by killing them. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. The prosecution's defense was that she 100% knew what she was doing was wrong and murdered her five children in cold blood. They argued that she obviously didn't just suddenly snap due to her mental state and like drown her kids. Like she clearly planned this out. She literally waited for Rusty to leave work, immediately went and filled the tub so she could finish before Dora got there. She admitted that she had thought about doing this for like a month before, and they argued that her saying that she believes Satan put the thought in her mind to drown her children proves that she knows it was wrong because, you know, she knows Satan is wrong. She knew what she was doing was illegal because she called, she herself called the police right, and knew that she would be arrested and said that she should be punished for what she had done. So they're like, no, she is not insane. Like she knew what she was doing. They also argued that Rusty and Andrea had both admitted that she loved watching Law and Order. What? <laughs> well, that comes into play because one of the prosecution's expert, expert witnesses was a psychiatrist named Park Dietz. And Dietz testified that he had worked as a consultant for a couple of episodes of Law and Order. And he said that there was an episode of Law and Order where a mother drowned her child and then was acquitted of murder by reason of insanity. And he said that there was a good probability because she watched Law and Order like all the time. There's a good probability that she had seen this episode and it like had inspired her to do the same. Throughout the trial, Rusty supported Yates saying that even though she had killed his children, she was very, very sick. He said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't think my husband would support me. <laughs> no, no. Like, <laughs> I love my husband. <laughs> So very much. That's why we're married, but he would absolutely not support me. Yeah. No, he said mm -hmm. that the woman he loved and married had been a wonderful mother and would never have harmed those kids. And as difficult as it was for him, he was going to support her because she was just sick. That wasn't her. Mm -mm. Nope. So on March 12th, 2002, after three and a half hours of deliberation, mm -hmm. the jury found Andrea Yates guilty of capital murder. The prosecution pushed for the death penalty, but this was refused and she was instead sent sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after serving 40 years. Oh, no, really? Yes. That's They're going to let her go after five Well, deaths? that is not like the end. Okay, sorry. That is not the end of this girl. Oh, Because okay. so, I was going to say, oh, really? <laughs> on July 30th, 2004, two years after, two years after this sentencing. Right. Rusty filed for divorce during the trial. Like he maintained that she would be found innocent and that after she was successfully treated in a mental health facility and put on the proper medication, they would have more children. How but, are you going to have more children when she's in prison? Well, that was during the trial after when she was oh, sentenced okay. to prison, then he, he filed for divorce. So the divorce was final because, you know, he supported her so much. The divorce was finalized on March 17th, 2005. And he remarried on March 25th, 2006. So like a year later. Dang, bro. <laughs> and he had, he, him and this new wife ended up having one son together and the two of them ended up divorcing in 2015. So that's what happened with Rusty. Now let's get back to Andrea because the defense was filing an appeal claiming that false testimony from the prosecution, the prosecutor's witness, Dr. Park Dietz. It turned out that this supposed episode of Law and Order that she was supposed to be influenced by didn't actually exist. So yeah, so this claim was made by author Suzanne O'Malley, who had been covering the trial for the Oprah Magazine, the New York Times, and NBC News. So she also happened to have been a previous writer for Law and Order, 
and she immediately reported that no such episode existed. Fun fact, two years after Yates' trial, Law and Order Criminal Intent did air an episode that was based on her case. That oh. Was, that was two years after. But yeah, there's an episode. It's, it's entitled Magnificat. Oh, that's interesting. Check that out. Yeah. So the court agreed that the jury could have been possibly swayed by this false testimony, and they granted a retrial. On February 1st, 2006, Yates was released on bail on the condition that she be admitted to a mental health treatment facility while she awaited her retrial. Okay. So they moved her from prison to a mental health facility. And at that time, by that time, she had spent about four years in prison already. Now, while in prison, she had told her like prison psychiatrist that she had considered killing her children for two years before actually doing it. She told him that her children weren't righteous and they had stumbled because she was evil and the way that she was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. She also told him that Satan had influenced her children and made them disobedient. Like they were just doomed. There was no saving them. There was no saving them from her. Her defense pled the same case they did before. Mm -hmm. And so did the prosecution minus the like law and order testimony. Right. And on July 26, 2006, after three days of deliberation, Andrea Yates was found not guilty by reason of insanity. What? She was committed to the North Texas State Hospital. And in January of 2007, Yates was moved to a low security mental health facility, the Kerrville State Hospital in Kerrville, Texas. What? Mm -hmm. She is now 57 years old. And she's still there today. She is given the opportunities, the opportunity to undergo a, like a review every year to see if she's competent and can leave the facility. But every year she's opted out of undergoing this review. Like she chooses just to stay there. So her defense attorney, George Parnum, keeps in contact with her over the years. And he says that he is happy, that she is happy and she is where she needs to be. He says that she grieves for her children every day and often watches home videos of them. And when she's not doing that, she spends her time making aprons and other crafts and sells them anonymously. But she doesn't get the money for it. All the money that she makes from these goes to the Yates Children Memorial Fund, which her lawyer and his wife started up. And it's dedicated to like women's mental health. And like in particular, I mean, like postpartum health, really, which is a good thing. That's really a good thing. But at the same time, I feel like she, okay, postpartum depression is a real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a real thing. It is an awful thing. Mm-hmm. But she knew what she was doing. I think so. She literally got the help that she needed and she didn't want to take the medication. Right. She literally asked to be off of the medication. That was the only one that seemed to help her. To me, if you are depressed and going through this a lot, and I could be, I'm speaking out of context, but those that struggle with postpartum depression don't want to have it. If they seek help, they keep it. So I feel like it wasn't. What did you say? If they seek help, like if they, they see, yeah, if they seek help, like if they're going to get a medication or something that helps them, they're not going to oh, stop doing I it. Thought you was, I thought you were saying if they seek help, they keep the postpartum depression. And I was like, what? No, no. like <laughs> they keep the help. Like she opted out of the help. I yeah. feel like it wasn't just postpartum, obviously. Well, there was, was a lot of other issues. Postpartum psychosis, not depression, which right. is more rare and more dangerous oh yeah I guess that's true but still right like she was very I don't know I I'm up in the air on my thoughts on that I know I feel like she it is awful I I like that I like that there's a fund for them yes like a memorial Mm -hmm. and I also feel like she should be in prison because she knew I mean to me she was competent she called 911 she struggled with her oldest and she called 911 after and she even stated exactly why she did it right because satan told her to but yeah that's just called crazy but <laughs> also there was like art there was like interviews with that fucking crazy ass preacher and oh, he yeah what he said he was all like oh no like 
he basically was like denying any responsibility for he's like just because she listened to my preachings doesn't mean I told her like kill all of her children even though he literally said Jesus says to kill yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> like he just like denied any kind of like I would have been like oh my responsibility Jesus, you for did <laughs> <laughs> here let me quote you <laughs> He's like, no, I said, kill yourself, not your children. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say his name again? Michael Warnecki. Warnecki. That's what I want to say. Um, so <laughs> he's like, no, I didn't say that. But it says right here, Warnecki, 14. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like reading a passage out of the Bible. <laughs> it was so hard researching this case because I was like, I don't know what my thoughts are on on this i know that this is awful and i don't know it's, it's a bad one it's a bad one and i don't know what the right answer is for the end of it i know i was gonna say that's that this case kind of infuriates me because yeah. mental health really is a big deal and she did get some help but she definitely didn't she did get pushed away in some sense in a lot of things like as somebody that was a professional that's helping you and, and treating you, um, mm-hmm. if she tells you that she doesn't want to take it anymore, mm, I understand that the pay- patients get like a say in what they consume. Right. I mean, you body. can't force them to take a medication every day. Right. But at the same time, there was other things they could have done. There yeah. was other things. Um, and doctors and psychiatrists and stuff I feel like there was more that could have been done that wasn't done right especially since she had such a huge history of like going into these deep depressive states and and as her husband too I'm sorry but you should have never left your wife with five children by herself when she had just gotten off of a medication that was that you knew, like you wouldn't ask for her to be put back on it because you knew it was bad if she's not on I it. I would have never, I would have never left her alone. Right. He, like, but, not even for an hour. I understand the mother-in-law was coming, but I would, I would have called work and be like, Hey, I can't come in until 10. Sorry. Right. I can't come in until 10. I don't know. I'm very yeah. on the fence about this because I feel like she should be in prison, but I also feel like she did need some help. And exactly. Right. It's just so unfortunate. Like it's, the worst that is very very sad so that was my huge ass bummer case those poor babies I know I when I was reading about it I like literally was crying I was like I cannot I'm not gonna lie when you were when you were discussing it it made my stomach churn I know (laughs) I was like but I feel like drowning each drowning was worse than almost just I know when I first was reading it I was like oh I don't know this is rough I don't know if I want to tell this but then I was like you know it should be told like the kids deserve for people to know what happened to them. Right. And people need to know to not take mental health lightly. No, it is something that you should take seriously. If you're depressed or anything, definitely seek for help. Definitely seek. talk about it. We're not, we're not saying you have to go medicate yourself, but you definitely need to talk about it. Yeah. It doesn't talk hurt to somebody. Talk. It could be a friend, a family member. <laughs> this has been daily advice with crystal and samantha (laughs) so yeah that's that's that on that that's a bummer case that's i'm real sad now like i want to go get some cat bear cream eggs to eat or something Mm, i'm just gonna go hug i'm gonna go hug my babies Mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna walk upstairs and and my oldest he's gonna be like get off of me (laughs) right right i love you so much Everybody go hug your babies. And if you don't have a baby, just go like hug a random kid. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. You can don't go get in trouble for that. that. <laughs> That's frowned upon. <laughs> all right. Well, follow us on all the stuff at yeah. zeroholicsisters.com. You can find our Instagram and our Facey space. It's true. All of it's true. on there. It's all there. And that's that on that. I'm going right. to, I'm going to go cry now and hug my kids <laughs> i'm gonna need you to do a more upbeat story <laughs> next week i mean i can, can you do, do another unsolved case <laughs> well that's not upbeat there's no closure can you do an upbeat true crime story is that a thing no <laughs> it's not a thing well i don't know um the one funny one you did was pretty <laughs> oh the michael malloy one was that was yes 
That's a treat. Let's all go back and listen to that one again. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's not, it's not technically funny. I mean, it's not supposed to be funny. No, it's not but funny. It it's, it's you guys know what we mean. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that well, note. Yeah. Since we were already awkward. We're let's so be awkward. awkward. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.